Hi, I'm Sarah Manili, and this is Sustainably Speaking, the podcast aimed at raising awareness about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs. These goals were adopted by the United Nations in 2015 as a universal call to action to end poverty, protect the planet, and ensure that by 2030, all people enjoy peace and prosperity. The SDGs call upon all countries to come together in a global partnership to improve health and education, tackle climate change, and much more. In 2021, Georgian College in Ontario, Canada officially joined the global movement of United Nations Sustainable Development Goals by signing the SDG Accord. This podcast is dedicated to sharing the importance of making positive change in the world. We will share inspiring stories of organizations and individuals who are taking strides toward meeting these goals. And through these stories, we hope to inspire you to take up the challenge as well. Join us in our mission to make a difference and create a better future for our planet. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Sustainably Speaking. Today we have Mike and Melissa from Dirkwood Beekeeping Supplies with us. Hello to you both and thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Now, just to give a little bit of background, we work with um, Dirkwood Beekeeping Supplies on our own hives here on the campus. Mike and Melissa helped us to set up those hives and they help us to maintain them and take care of them. So I'm really just hoping to kind of learn a little bit more about the entire process of keeping bees and, you know, some of the great things they do for the environment and, and just basically anything you can teach us about bees. If you want to um, start off just by telling us about Dirkwood Beekeeping Supplies and the products and the services you provide, just to basically a synopsis of, of everything you do there. Yeah, um, so we started our, our actual retail store slash shop in February 2021. We live in the Dufferin County area. We noticed a need in our area for a beekeeper supply store. As uh, so at the time, we were beekeepers and we were struggling to find someone to supply us with all the all the things we needed to keep bees. So we had a conversation and decided that we were going to open our own store. So we did that in 2021. People that we bought a lot of our equipment from actually decided to retire about eight months later and offered us the opportunity to purchase them. So we did that. And the next year after that, Melissa quit her full-time job as a dental hygienist and we needed her to run the store full-time. So since November, or I guess the spring of 2022, you'd quit your job and run the store full-time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. And really everything, everything that the store supplies is everything you need to be a beekeeper. So from the bees themselves, queens, your protective clothing, all of your equipment, including woodenware, um, extraction equipment. We offer courses as well for people that are interested in getting into beekeeping, whether they've committed to the bees or not. Some, a lot of our customers will come through and try the course and then decide after the fact uh, whether that's something they're interested in doing. So. It's a great idea. That helps, I think, to, you know, for people not to, you know, jump in too far before they've, you know, realized. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And we've had a, a couple of people come through and do the course. So the, a portion of the course is in class just to do basic bee anatomy and explain how the hives are set up in locations. And, um, and then the other portion is we actually take you into our beehives. And if you don't have protective clothing, we supply it for you. And we go in our hives and do inspections with you. And that kind of gives us a pretty quick gauge of whether that's something you're interested in doing Mm -hmm. or it was a mistake maybe, but either way at that point, you haven't committed to the bees yet. So. Oh, that's great. And what inspired you to become beekeepers? How did you get into the industry? Is this something you grew up with or something that started later? I had, I had a uh, opportunity to put some hives with a friend on a piece of property out in the country. And we decided each to get our own hive and manage them. 
and then he lost interest. So I bought his hive out and his equipment and, uh, and moved them in right into the town of Grand Valley, actually, and had them set up in my backyard. And then at that point, Melissa and I started dating and uh, she would kind of sit off to the side and watch me do my inspections. That's how I started. And then I would ask her if she wanted to come and see things or I'd kind of start to want to explain stuff. That's just a natural beekeeper thing where you want to tell everyone about everything. And she started inspecting the hives with me. And from there, really, now I would say we're equals. Like we both can inspect them all on our own or a lot of times we like to go in together. We can bounce ideas off of each other you know what I mean well this is happening in this hive you know what do you think or what do you think we should do or so it works out really well we work quite well as a team together that way that's I think that's great and I love the idea again going back to those courses I just think that that's really smart and the two of you both take part in the in the courses and teaching the course generally not I would say Mike teaches the course mainly um, because generally when the course is being taught the store is open so I stay back and run the store and same thing too even when he goes out into inspect the hives with with everyone that comes out it's too hard to be back and forth between the store and back in the yard so I just tend to stay in the shop and Mike tends to do all the all the teaching and I'll kind of pop out and take pictures in between but I'm not overly involved in that part of it (laughs) No, that makes sense. And actually, since we're talking about the shop, would you like to tell me a little bit more about that and what you what you sell in the shop? I mean, of course, the supplies. It is. Um, so I would say ninety nine percent of the business is um, the beekeeping supplies and anything like we said that you need to be a beekeeper, or if you currently have bees. And obviously, the second biggest product from there would be um, all of the honey and the honey products that come with it. And then also, I do sell health and beauty products body lotion, body butters, lip balms, beard oils, um, any of that kind of stuff, really. She says she sells them, but she actually makes them all and then sells them. Okay, that's incredible. And that operation is also um, in the same location? Yes. Yeah, it's all in the same location. So yeah, so between being down with customers in the store and then when we don't have anyone in the store, then I'll come up and do stuff at the house. So I do that in between customers. And yeah. do you sell any of it online or is it all just nope. in person? No, it's all sold online as well. Oh, yeah. that's great. Well, I, yeah. I definitely want to come down and, and see the whole operation one day when you're yeah, open. we'd love to have you. Having guests, because that would be wonderful. Okay, well, I know that you, man- well, at least for us, you manage our hive as well, like on our location. Is that something you typically do or was that something that was just kind of a exclusive situation? That's, that's kind of new to us um, this season. We have a couple locations that we do a similar service with a couple different customers that we offer the same service to where we set up hives on their property. I manage them and they'll get a portion of the honey or whatever products they'd like from them. We don't have that many of those. I think there's only two or three customers that do that. The rest of our hives are on our property. We have around 40 to 50 call starts to close in. We, uh, some hives you'll find are weaker than others, and we have to condense those hives together to make sure that they have the best chance of getting through the winter. So to answer your question, we don't do too much of that. We do enjoy mm-hmm. it. And obviously, we have all the equipment in the store that I need to do anything with the hives to manage them properly. So, yeah, we do a little bit of that. We enjoy it, too. And we like to do custom labels for people and, and different yeah. customers in that, too. So we enjoy that. How do you how do you actually harvest the honey if it's on a location like on our roof? Yeah, so it'd be the, it'd be the exact same way we harvest it out of our own property where you'd come to the hive probably a 
what we do is a day or two before put on what's called a, they call it a Quebec bee escape. And it's basically a one way trap door for the bees. So they'll, they can get through, they can exit the hive, but they can't get back in to where the honey is Yeah, to where the honey portion is not the hive in general. You're right. So they can get back, they can come out of the honey portion of the hive. And then at that point we'll go in, remove the honey supers, the boxes with honey, um, yep. take them to where we're going to actually extract them, extract them. And then we bring them back to the hive within a day or two, because you have to think that if the bees, it'd be, it'd be like you living in a four bedroom, 2000 square foot house. And then all of a sudden in one day getting put into a 500 square foot apartment with the same amount of people and furniture and everything. It's the same idea. So you have to, you have to be pretty quick to get them back into that amount of space that they're used to. Corey. That way they don't end up leaving or swarming or causing issues. So. so, yeah, so generally we would, in your case, like say for Georgian College, we would come up, take the honey boxes off, mm-hmm. bring them back to our location, extract them here, and then take the boxes back up to put back on the hive. Mm-hmm. I from see. There, you guys would get your honey from, from there. Yeah. Okay. And does it typically happen like several times throughout a season or do you kind of wait until the season's over and do it all at once? How does that process work? It happens both ways. A lot of people typically like to pull honey off in the spring, maybe late June, early July, and then they'll also pull a second draw in end of August, early September. We typically end up doing one at the end of the season just because that's kind of how our schedule allows it. It is a big, messy job. Sticky, sticky, sticky job. mess. Yeah, so we would try to, try to do it once a year and just do it all. The benefit of doing it multiple times a year is you would maybe get different grades of honey just because different the, flavors of honey. Yeah, different flavors. Just Ooh. because the the resources that are available to the bees in the spring are quite different than they are in the fall. Like in the spring, you're going to get dandelion, clover, so you tend to get lighter grades of honey and different flavors. And then in the fall, you'll typically see a lot of that fall honey into September is goldenrod honey. It's dark and it has a different flavor to it. So ours is usually a blend. Um, yep. Yeah, you absolutely could do either or take. Depends to how much equipment you have available to you. If you're limited to equipment, you might only have two boxes per hive, and they'll produce four. So, in, once they're mm-hmm. full, you got to remove them, extract the honey, and put right. that equipment back on so they can continue to work on their winter stores. Got it. And actually, speaking of the winter, how does that process work? How do the hives, I guess, hibernate in the in the winter time? Wintering, and okay. what we call prepare them for winter, which would include making sure the weights of the hives are sufficient being on a single calling would be 70 to 80 pounds of honey that you've either left behind for them at the end mm-hmm. of the season, or a lot of beekeepers will take all of the honey and supplement feed them in the fall with a sugar syrup so that the they'll, they'll turn that sugar syrup into like sugar, honey, sugar, honey that they can survive off of through the winter. Um, we like to leave probably 40, we like to leave one box in our hive, which would be about 40 or 50 pounds of honey for the bees. Okay. So that's a big part of wintering. The other one is we insulate and wrap the hives. Mm-hmm. So just some insulation under the lid, um, some sort of pad to absorb moisture, and then an actual physical wrap, whether it's corrugated plastic or uh, a an loose, insulated wrap. Yeah, or a loose plastic with actual insulation in it. And then the other big one, that gets missed a lot and is probably the reason for 90% of hives failing through the winter is mites. It's called the varroa mite technically. And that's the reason for a lot of hive loss throughout the winter and even throughout the season in general, where you have to 
monitor your mites and you have to treat for mites. So we've been monitoring all year to help keep that mite count at, under a certain threshold so that we know that the bees stand the best chance to survive. Is there any other um, illnesses or anything that can ha affect the, the bees? Like, is there anything else that you have to treat for or look for? Or is mites the, pretty much the big one? The newest one that seems to be coming around is a bug. It's called a small hive beetle. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of new and up and coming in the area. A new one, too, is European fowl brood. We've had American fowl brood in Ontario for quite a few years, but European fowl brood has just made its way into Ontario. So those are things that we, you have to keep an eye out for, too. Mm -hmm. Right. And we're, we're lucky in Ontario. Uh, uh, the province of Ontario has bee inspectors. So if at any point you think you have even high mite loads, mm -hmm. or if you want to, for us, us for example, if we want to sell bees or queens, we have to physically have the bee inspector come out and inspect our hives. But if you have issues with your hive, you can at any point call the inspector, let them know what your issues are, and they'll come out and do an inspection on your hives and let you know where you stand and what you need to do to better manage them, which is nice. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I actually had a question about the the queen. I think Julian mentioned something about her being segregated. Um, typically, I didn't really get into that when we were talking about wintering. As far as the bees go for the winter, they'll tend to cluster what we call as a cluster in the hive where all the bees will form a ball inside the hive. Even though there's frames within the hive that separate the bees, they'll still mm -hmm. cluster into this ball to keep that cluster a certain temperature so that they can survive. And bees will rotate from the inside to the outside to to stay warm. Take turns, yeah. But the queen is always in the middle and that's how they keep her they keep her warm by keeping her in the middle of that cluster. <laughs> I got it. Okay, so they protect her basically throughout the yes. winter. Yeah. Yes, but going back to the question that you just asked, we do segregate the queen in the springtime through till the fall and segregate her in the in the sense that like the very bottom box of a hive or sometimes two box, depending on how people manage their hives, that's called the brood box. And that's where the queen lays all of her eggs. Um, and so then, you know, the eggs are laid and they hatch and they turn into larvae and pupae and then they get capped over and then they hatch so most beekeepers do put what's called a queen excluder on the top brood box which will keep the queen down below okay. and then you'll put your honey boxes or honey supers on top of that so that queen excluder will not allow the queen to get up into your honey supers and lay eggs up there so she is segregated in that portion but in the fall after we take all the honey off that queen excluder comes off and she has full reign of all of the space because she weigh, she will lay uh, summer bees early spring and all summer. And then in, usually around August, she'll switch to what we call like a winter bee. Um, okay. And they live a little bit longer and have a different genetic. So to be able to sustain the whole winter. Summer bees that are designed to actually forage and care for her as well. And do you find that in, there, there are a lot of individuals or businesses like Georgian with ours on the roof that are, are are taking on beekeeping a lot more? Like, are you seeing a big increase in that? I would say probably down in the city, yes. I would say up this area, I wouldn't say that there's too many companies that would do like rooftop and that type of stuff. But I would definitely say down in the city, especially because there's a, a lack of land to put bees we have a, a friend of ours, and that's what he does for a living. He beekeeps down in the city, and I would say 90% of his bees are on rooftops. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
And is there an ideal number of hives to have for any particular reason, either for honey yield or... I would say if you're just doing it as a hobby, you want to have a minimum of two. And that's recommended just because if you have one hive and you go in and you, you do an inspection, you think the hive is doing amazing. Right. If you have two, you go into the first one, you're like, oh no, this is amazing. And then you go into the second one and the second one is like rocking and you're like, oh no, the first one is actually lacking. So it gives you something to compare to. And it also gives you resources that if the first one is lacking, you can take some resources from the stronger mm. one give to, to the one that isn't doing quite as well. So it's minimum of two if you're going to be like a hobbyist beekeeper. Mm-hmm. And then from there, the world is your oyster. So in terms of location, I know that you had mentioned when we first got on the call, Mike, that having it in a more densely with with vegetation and, and trees and things like that, it's, 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 that's the ideal spot for a hive, essentially. Yeah, it, it's there's a couple things you look for. One is kind of if you can have them out of the wind, obviously. So that's why we say trees, just so they get a bit of a wind block. Yeah, and then resources, I guess people maybe don't realize that the bees will actually travel five kilometers, like a five kilometer radius from their actual hive to get resources. So if you think about that, even if you're in the city, that's a pretty big area to cover that they'll be able to find some source of nectar, pollen, everything they really need. You want to make sure that they get ideally all day sun, especially for the winter. And ideally you want the hive to be able to face south, just again, more so for sun and for blocking that northwest wind that we get in the winter time yeah but otherwise we we tell people not to get too hung up when they're talking about hive placement like they they want to try to pick out the perfect location a lot of people maybe that want bees know someone that has property and and most people want are bees pretty on property. yeah are pretty receptive to the idea of bees on their property so there's a lot of hosts out there i love that i had i would never have thought that that would be an option but it makes complete mm-hmm. sense that's i love that they almost just like renting space on someone else's yeah. yeah. And generally what tends to happen for the most part is if you if you were to give up, you know, a portion of your property, then the beekeeper will generally give you a case or two of honey in payment yeah. for mm-hmm. for using the property. There is a limit to the number of hives you should have on one property because like I mentioned before, that radius of their f- travel is five kilometers. So however many bees you have in that location they're all really only going to fly in that same area. So that means they're all limited to that same amount of resources. Yeah. So you may have five hives that produce X amount, and then you may have 10 hives, but they'll still produce the same amount as five hives just because they're all using the same resources. It's too much. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah. Well, and here on campus, and I, I'm sure you've seen, but we have recently put in like a no mo zone area and um, as well as a small pollinator garden. We wanted to have those things in place when the bees came, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to promote that and, and give them the resources that they needed. Yeah, that's good. We're continuing to grow and make it bigger. And yeah, we're really excited to be partnered with you as well. So thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you. you. I think what you do is amazing. Maybe we'll have you on again. We can talk more bees. I'd love that. That'd be great. Yeah. Thank you for having us. We really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much and take care. You too. Bye. Bye 